0: The following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2008 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. One of the greatest portions of prophecy taught by the Lord Jesus is that of the Olivet Discourse. And of course Matthew records that beginning in Matthew chapter 24. Now, one of the significant things is there are a number of items in Matthew chapter 24 in this discourse that have been misinterpreted or misapplied by very sincere Christians. And I don't know that with my two sessions with you, we'll have time to deal with all of them, but I do want to hit some of the major ones this morning and, Lord willing, tomorrow morning as well. The first one deals with the statement that Jesus made in verse 14, verse 14 of Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus said to his apostles, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. By the end, he's referring to the end of our present pre-Messianic age. The end of that pre-Messianic age would be his second coming uh, down to planet earth to set up God's kingdom. Now, some very fine, very well-meaning Christians on the basis of that statement have declared that the rapture or second coming of Christ cannot take place until the gospel concerning Christ's death, burial, resurrection has been preached to all people of all nations all over the world. There are problems uh, with this concept that he was saying here that either the rapture or his second coming cannot take place until the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his death, burial, and resurrection have been proclaimed throughout all of the world. And uh, I want to point out to you what some of the problems are. First, it's important to note that there are two totally different gospel messages in the New Testament, not one two totally separate, distinct gospel messages in the New Testament. One of those gospels is called the gospel of the kingdom, which Jesus was referring to here, and that was, that was preached by John the Baptist, by the Lord Jesus, and the apostles before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus took place. The other gospel is often called the gospel of Christ. And that Paul defines for us, we'll look at it later on, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, and that's the gospel that Paul preached, and the other apostles preached it after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that we're to be preaching to people all over the world today. Now, how do we know that there are these two distinct gospels? Well, first of all, they had two totally separate, distinct contents, contents. Let's take a look, please, first at the the gospel of the kingdom to which Jesus was referring. Turn, if you would, please, to the gospel of Matthew chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent you, here's why, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sometimes it's the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go over, please, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and look at verse 17, where we have Jesus beginning his public ministry, and we're told from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And look at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, And preaching the gospel of the kingdom, same gospel of the kingdom refers to in Matthew 24, verse 14, and healing all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people. Notice the gospel of the kingdom that we're having presented to us here in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4 was the message, repent because the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel of the kingdom said nothing about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Nothing. Go with me, please, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Where we have the first commission that Jesus gave to his apostles. Uh, We read in in verse 10, "...when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all manner of sickness, all manner of disease." But then verse 2 of Matthew 10, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. And then Matthew gives their names. But then look at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here we have John the Baptist preaching this gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus was preaching it, and the first commission to his apostles is you are to go out and preach this gospel of the kingdom as well. Notice the death and resurrection of Christ is not mentioned in this gospel whatsoever. Now keep your finger here and go with me please to 1 Corinthians 15 where we have the clearest definition by the Apostle Paul of the gospel of Christ that he preached in his ministry and that we are to be preaching today to unsaved people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul begins by saying to the, the believers there at the church of Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Notice doesn't use the word kingdom here. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, the ideas of, of first importance, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Notice, he doesn't even use the word kingdom in this gospel of Christ. The whole content of this gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the word kingdom. Whereas the gospel of the kingdom was, repent, the, gospel of, uh, the, the kingdom of God is at hand, doesn't talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, to show you even more so, the gospel of the kingdom said nothing about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection Go please to Matthew chapter 16. Now keep in mind, in chapter 10, we noticed earlier, Jesus sends out the apostles and with the first commission of their ministry. Preach, repent, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is at hand. They've been doing that from chapter 10 of Matthew right up to through chapter 15 of Matthew. The apostles out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now they come to Jesus and report to Him on their ministry. And He says, whom do men say that I am? And they give the different responses of people to their preaching about the gospel of the kingdom. Look at verse 21. The language here is very critical for us to understand. Verse 21. From that time forth, underscore the word began. Here's something that Jesus for the first time begins to do with His apostles. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and raised again the third day. What does that word began indicate? This is the first time Jesus told the apostles, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be resurrected from the dead three days later. And yet he's already had them out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Which says, therefore, since this is the first he told them, I'm going to be killed, be resurrected three days later, the gospel of the kingdom they'd been preaching up this point said nothing about his death, burial, and resurrection. And the other thing that indicates that is true, look at Peter's response, verse 22. Then Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not be unto you. If the gospel of the kingdom that Peter had already been preaching preached about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Peter would not have reacted so negatively when Jesus began to say, I'm going to be killed and raised from the dead three days later. This clearly indicates the content of the gospel of the kingdom said nothing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was a totally different content from the gospel that Paul defined after Christ died and rose from the dead that he'd he find for us there in 1 Corinthians 15. And then he began to preach, and the other apostles began to preach too, after Christ actually died and rose from the dead. So, what we're saying here is, in Matthew 24, verse 14, by the gospel of the kingdom, that Jesus said will be preached throughout all the world to all the nations before his second coming at the end of our present pre-Messianic age, that gospel, the kingdom, says nothing about his death, burial, and resurrection. The other thing to note about it is this. Notice, going back to Matthew 24, verse 14 again, notice the descriptive word that Jesus used before the word gospel. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. Notice that descriptive word, this gospel. What's that mean? He's saying, I'm talking about this gospel of the kingdom that John the Baptist has been preaching, that I've been preaching, and that you've been preaching. This gospel of the kingdom identifies it's not the gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's the one that all of them had already been preaching up to this particular point in Jesus' ministry. Now, don't misunderstand, since Christ died and rose from the dead, everybody must believe that gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection in order to get saved. And so that forces me to conclude that during the, the end time, the tribulation period, which Jesus is going to, we're going to see is referring to here, that gospel will also be preached throughout the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. It's the only way people can get saved, by hearing about his death, burial, and resurrection since the time that he died and rose from the dead. And so I'm convinced the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached throughout the seven-year tribulation period as well, and as we, Bill was noticing earlier, great multitudes of people are going to get washed in the blood of the Lamb, which says, that message is about Jesus shedding of His blood, a, a cross of Calvary that's going to save them. But because these are two totally separate distinct Gospels, this says that this Gospel of the kingdom that's going to be preached during that same seven-year period, the tribulation period, has a different purpose from the Gospel of Christ, of His death, burial, and res- resurrection being preached throughout the seven-year tribulation period. And so that brings us to another thing we need to notice here, and that is the purpose of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the purpose of that, from what Jesus is saying here, that that gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the seven-year tribulation period to all nations all over the world. Well, notice, he says here, "This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. Here's the purpose of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, what did he mean by witness? Well, many have taken that to mean, well, it's, it's the, the preaching of the gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, witnessing the people about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But Greek scholars point out that the Greek word translated witness here in Jesus' statement is not the form of the word for gospel evangelization, you know, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Greek word translated witness here is referring to witness that was given in a court of law for the purpose of proving the guilt of a person or party who's been accused of doing something wrong. Let me state that again. Greek scholars point out that the word translated witness here, in verse 14, is referring to a witness that's given in a court of law for the purpose of proving guilt of an accused person or group for something that they've done. What, what's the significance then of the gospel of the kingdom being preached, you know, during the tribulation period? How would it have that function? What's interesting to note is that, uh, and we don't have the time to deal with it, but Jesus is talking here about the second half of the tribulation. Because he's going to talk about the great tribulation with the second half here in a moment. He's talking about this is going to be preached, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached throughout the whole world during the second half of the tribulation period. What's significant about that is that's when the world, under the leadership of the Antichrist, is trying desperately to establish the greatest form of man's kingdom that man's ever developed upon planet Earth, a unified worldwide kingdom of man, ruled over by one man, the ultimate man, the Antichrist. That's the concept here. And so that what Jesus is saying is that throughout the second half of the tribulation period, during the, the second three and a half years called the Great Tribulation, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to all the people of the world while they, under the leadership of the Antichrist, are feverishly trying to bring about the ultimate form of man's kingdom upon planet Earth, where all the nations are unified together under one man. And so, as the gospel of the kingdom is being preached to them, it is for the purpose of informing these unsaved people who are trying to bring about this ultimate form of man's rule of the world, that they're barking up the wrong tree, is to prove to them by you doing this, by you allying yourself under the ultimate man, the Antichrist, to bring about a totally man-made unified world empire or worldwide government or kingdom, you are thereby guilty of rebellion against the true and the living God who is about to establish His divine kingdom, political kingdom here upon planet Earth. And therefore, your kingdom is gonna be crushed and removed totally from the Earth, together with your Antichrist. And Jesus Christ, God's Son, in His second coming, as He ends this present pre-Messianic age, is gonna do that job for God, and He's gonna set up God's kingdom rule upon the Earth Yours is going to disappear. His is going to come and it's going to last for a thousand years. It's going to come for, uh, last for a thousand years. He said that's the purpose of the gospel of the kingdom being preached upon planet earth during the second half of that seven-year tribulation period. To be a declaration to these unsaved people, you are guilty of rebellion against God and His coming kingdom You're trying to set up your own man-made kingdom for the glory of man under this ultimate man ruler, the Antichrist, but yours is going to be crushed and God's is going to be established in place of that. Now, the book of Revelation indicates, if you look at several passages, that during the tribulation period, Even though as God's judgments are being poured out upon the earth while they're trying to desperately bring about this man-made kingdom, they will recognize these judgments are from God, but they will curse God, shake their fists at God. They absolutely refuse to repent and submit to God's kingdom coming upon planet earth. And the ultimate revolt, look at it if you would please, at Revelation chapter 19. This will be the ultimate expression of the rebellion against God. You're not going to set up your kingdom. We're going to have our man-made kingdom, totally unified, one world government, under one world ruler. Look at what happens. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, where John records a preview of the second coming of Christ. I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness... He does judge and make war. Jesus, at his second coming out of heaven, after the end of the tribulation period, is coming back as a warrior to wage war. To wage war against whom? Look at verse 19. And I saw the beast. That goes back to Revelation 13, reference to the Antichrist, this ultimate political ruler who's prompting the people of the world who accept him as God to bring about this ultimate form of man's kingdom upon planet Earth I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. I take it as a result of the the, uh, gospel of the kingdom being preached. You're guilty of rebellion against God who's going to set up his kingdom upon planet earth and destroy yours. These people band together all the nations with all their armies and all their political rulers, under the ultimate political ruler, the Antichrist, they're all gathered together in one location, and we're told here the purpose is to wage war against Jesus when he's come out of heaven. It's going to be their way of saying, you're not going to come down here and take away from us the man-made kingdom we're working feverishly to bring about. You're not going to set up God's kingdom here upon planet Earth. We're gathered together here with the whole military might of the whole human race to prevent you, Jesus, from coming back here and setting up God's kingdom and crushing ours and getting rid of it. And so notice what happens. Verse 20, the beast was taken, the Antichrist was taken, with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them, that he received the mark of the beast, and then that worshiped his image, These both, the Antichrist and false prophet, were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Jesus, by speaking authoritative words of God at his second coming, will have the Antichrist, the false prophet, removed from the earth, cast alive into the eternal lake of fire. And then Jesus will destroy the political rulers and the armed forces of all the nations of the world who are gathered together there to try to prevent him from coming back. And Zechariah 12 through 14 indicates they're all gathered together in the land of Israel at that point. And when Christ comes out of heaven, they will have Jerusalem totally surrounded. They will be covering the whole area around the city of Jerusalem and Satan wants them there, and the Antichrist wants them there, because they know according to Zechariah 14, the first ta- place Jesus' feet will touch down upon planet Earth at the second coming will be on the Mount of Olives, just across the Kidron Valley, on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. That's why they're gathered in that exact area. We will not accept you and your kingdom of God. And we're gathered together here with all the might of all the armies of all the nations of the world to prevent you from coming back and crushing our kingdom we're going to establish here for the glory of man. You're not going to take this away from us. Absolute, ultimate rebellion. And then of course you know what's done with Satan, chapter 20, verses one through three. Satan is going to be bound. He's the one instigating all this evil activity against God and Satan is imprisoned in the abyss for the next 1,000 years. Jesus will crush this last great effort of man to establish a glorified, man-made kingdom worldwide, everything unified under one world government, under one world ruler. And Jesus will set up God's kingdom rule for the honor and glory of God, just as God has foretold through the prophets and that Jesus is indicating here in this particular context. By the way, let me just point out one other way in which there's a distinction between the kingdom of God and the, I'm sorry, the the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ with death, burial, and resurrection. Did you note the commission Jesus gave to the apostles in Matthew 10 when he sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom? You don't go to the Gentiles with this message, you don't go to the Samaritans with this message, the gospel of the kingdom. This message is to go exclusively to the people of Israel. Repent because the kingdom is at hand. He was offering that kingdom to that generation of Jews at that time, but it's not going to come until they repent as a nation for the kingdom to come. By contrast, what was the commission that Jesus commanded on the day of his ascension to heaven that's to go with the gospel of Christ after he died and rose from the dead? Mark 16 Go you where? into all the world and preach the gospel. Notice, not the gospel of the kingdom, now the gospel of Christ. Preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 19, make disciples of all nations. So that these two gospels had two different contents. One didn't say anything about the death, and resurrection of Christ. The other one, the whole content was the death, and resurrection of Christ. They had two different commissions. The gospel of the kingdom, during Jesus' first coming, it was to go exclusively to Israel. But the gospel of his death, ground, and resurrection is to go to everyone. But now notice here, though, in Matthew 24, verse 14, in the future tribulation period, the gospel of the kingdom is to go to every nation. To every nation. Repent, because the kingdom is at hand. As that witness, like in a courtroom, saying, You people who are striving tremendously, using all your resources and effort to establish a worldwide, one-man-ruled, unified government for the glory of mankind, you are guilty of absolute rebellion against the true and the living God. And therefore, your kingdom is going to be crushed, and God's kingdom is going to be established here upon planet Earth, no matter what your efforts are to try to prevent that from taking place. Very, very significant thing that he's ending here along these lines. Now, let me go on to the next part of Matthew 24 that uh, at least some today are misinterpreting tremendously. And that is, look at verse 21 of Matthew 24 where Jesus talks about the great tribulation. Matthew 24 and verse 21. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus is talking here about the unparalleled time of trouble in all of world history, the likes of which there's never been since the time of creation, and the likes of which will never be again after the great tribulation. And he's talking about the second half of what we call the tribulation period. It begins according to Daniel 9:27 in the beginning of the seven year tribulation period with Antichrist setting himself up at his image in the future temple of God in Jerusalem and making the blasphemous claim that he's God. That will begin the unparalleled time of trouble, the great tribulation, the likes of which has never been before, ever will be again. Now, uh, there are some sincere Christians today who have developed a view called preterism which says the Great Tribulation is already past; it's already accomplished. This is not future beyond our time today, but that the Great Tribulation Jesus is describing here was Rome's crushing of a Jewish revolt against Roman rule that began in the middle part of the 60s A.D. and culminated in 70 A.D. with the total destruction of Jerusalem and the Second Temple of Israel by the Romans in 70 A.D. In fact, uh, what many of the preterists say is, that's the second coming of Christ that's foretold in the Bible. It's already been in the past, not future, beyond our time now. That Jesus was coming in His second coming to pour out God's wrath and judgment upon the generation of Jews that were alive when He was here, but then rejected Him, would not accept Him as their Messiah and Savior. And so they're saying... The second coming of Christ, some of them are saying that that radical element of it are saying the second coming of Christ has already taken place, and it was Jesus coming in judgment to crush that Jewish revolt. Let me just point out a number of real problems with that understanding and that approach. In fact, there are at least eight problems with regard to this. Number one, the destruction of 70 AD was not worse the destruction of the city of Samaria by the Assyrians when they destroyed the existence of the northern kingdom of Israel during the 700s B.C. The destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. was not greater than the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple, I'm sorry, Jerusalem and the first temple in 586 B.C., which ended the kingdom of Judah's existence. So that, how can you say that that 70 A.D. was the worst time in all of world history, when two kings of Israel already involved destructions of their capital cities and the first temple that Israel had, one by the Assyrians and one by the Babylonians. Second problem with this preterist view that says that the Great Tribulation was in 70 A.D. is Jesus went on to say that if God had not determined to cut off this Great Tribulation period of time, all flesh would perish from planet Earth because that time is going to be so horrible. Well, was all flesh all over the world being being threatened in 70 A.D.? The only flesh that was being threatened in 70 A.D. was, was Jewish flesh because it's the Jews who were being massacred by the Romans in 70 A.D. Then, even if Jesus' reference was possibly limited exclusively to the Roman crushing of the Jewish revolt from the mid-60s to 70 AD, even if that's what he's referring to, that was not the worst time even for Israel. Let me point something out to Josephus, a Jewish historian who lived during Jesus' time and was there witnessing the Roman destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple in 70 AD. Josephus declared that in that Roman crushing of Jewish revolt, one million 356,460 Jews perished. 1,356,460 Jews were killed as Rome crushed that Jewish war against Rome. How many Jews were killed in the Holocaust of World War II? Some 6 million. More than four times the number of Jews that perished as Rome crushed Israel's revolt from the 60s to 70 AD More than four times that many Jews were eliminated systematically by the Nazis and their collaborators in the Holocaust of World War II. So how can you say that what happened in 70 AD was even the worst time for the Jews in all of history, the likes of which would never be again after, after Jesus' time? Then notice, if you would please, in verse 29, Jesus indicates the very first thing that will happen after the end of the Great Tribulation will be cosmic disturbances in the universe. The sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars of the heavens falling. Jesus said, here's the very first thing that happens after the tribulation, great cosmic disturbances. Were were there great cosmic disturbances like this immediately after Jerusalem and the second temple were destroyed in 70 AD? There's no record of cosmic disturbances taking place at all after the destruction of Jerusalem and the Second Temple by the Romans in 70 AD. That didn't take place immediately after that. And then Jesus indicated that after the cosmic disturbances, the sign of the Son of Man would appear in the heavens, after the cosmic disturbance, immediately after the Great Tribulation. There's no evidence whatsoever that the sign of the Son of Man appeared shortly after Jerusalem, and the Second Temple were destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. And then, uh, after that, uh, Jesus indicated that His coming would take place after the Great Tribulation, not during the Great Tribulation. Whereas those who hold this view that He was coming, like from the 60s to 70 A.D., to destroy Jerusalem and, and the Second Temple, The preterists have Jesus coming during the so-called the Great Tribulation, whereas Jesus makes it very clear here, his second coming won't take place until after the end of the Great Tribulation has transpired. And then on top of that, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, where Jesus is going to give a preview in a sense of what's going to happen in the future Tribulation leading up to his second coming, It indicates, Revelation chapter 1, that when he comes with the clouds, every eye will see Jesus. Every human being living upon the face of the earth, when Jesus comes out of heaven after the great tribulation, it is his glorious second coming, every eye will see the Lord Jesus during his second coming. There's no evidence whatsoever that Jesus actually made a physical appearance to all the people of the world from the mid-60s to 70 A.D. when the Romans crushed this Jewish revolt against the imperial government of Rome. And then the final thing that's a problem for the preterist view is in verse 31 of Matthew 24, Jesus told what would happen when He comes in glory after the Great Tribulation on the clouds of heaven, that He would send forth His angels with the sound of a great trumpet to gather together select elect from all directions of the world. There's no record of anything like that taking place after 70 A.D. No record of angels going throughout the world and gathering huge crowds of people from all over the world and removing them from the earth, removing them from the earth altogether. So these, are, these things are totally contrary to what the Predator are saying. There's no way these things took place that Jesus said would take place in the future when the future Great Tribulation comes to an end. Father, we thank you so much for the very clear teaching that Jesus gave of these significant, unheralded things that will transpire in the future leading up to his glorious second coming back to planet Earth. Help us, Lord, to understand these things correctly so that we do not misteach what Jesus intended to be understood. And we pray that you will take the clear understanding and use them for your honor and for your glory and to make even a life-changing impact upon our hearts and lives right now. And for this we ask, in Jesus' blessed name, amen.